I'm going to surprise Joe Tish because he got, I looked at his notes. He got those lyrics from the internet, but one verse he didn't have is the the verse that goes right after that. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I, I should. To illustrate my last remark, no way in, no, Jonah and the whale, no way in the ark. What did they do when everything looked so dark? You gotta, the accent. <laughs> he set me up for that, I couldn't, I couldn't help. Okay, you didn't know that, did you? Okay, so. <laughs> okay, so what I'm going to focus on now for the remainder of the time we have this morning are tools for transformation in uncertain times. Because if you haven't noticed, haven't read the news for a couple of years, these are uncertain times. And Swami spoke a great deal about this, really from the beginning of Ananda, for the last, from the early 1970s, really till he left the body. He talked about changes that are coming. And he said, the reason this is so difficult, I mean, is because we don't know how to understand what's going on. All around us we see changes, but we don't. how do we think about it? How do we deal with it? How do we rise to the highest expression of who we can be in these uncertain times? Why are they uncertain? Well, let's maybe look at ask symptoms rather than causes. But we see things that used to give humanity guidance and comfort and upliftment, things like religion and philosophy, and the arts, and they're no longer providing, by and large, traditional religions are no longer providing meaning for people. And we find in America, the number of people going to church is going down, 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 down. But the number of people who say they are spiritual, but not religious, is going up, 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 up because people are seeking for meaning and they're not finding it in traditional education or religion or the arts. And then you look around you at the natural world. It's out of control. We can see climate and weather and some friends who are sitting here amongst us who have lost everything they have due to volcanoes and fires. These things are beyond, they're happening and we don't know how to deal with them. We don't know what we can do. And I want to share with you a little personal story. And for me, I've, that happened to me when I was in college. And over the years, I've come to understand the meaning of it and the importance of it. And in fact, the great relevance of it today in these uncertain times. When I was going to college, maybe they still do this, the psychology department would do experiments, and students could sign up to be a subject in the experiments, and they would get $10 for an hour of being, we didn't have to run through mazes, but I'm sort of on that level. So I said, okay, I can use a little extra pocket money, I'll sign up. So I went to the lab, and they said, okay, fine, they put me in this room that was 
absolutely dark. Not one shred of light. You couldn't move your chair because they wanted you facing in a certain direction. And they said, now look at in front of you and you're going to see a little point of light. And we want you to tell us what direction that light is moving. Is moving left or right or up or down? Well, I couldn't see anything. But I used my hand and my thumb and I could feel my arm was not moving, and I just put it right next to that dot of light, and so I could tell if it was moving or not. And they said, well, okay, what direction is it moving? And I said, it's not moving. And they said, no, no, it is moving. Tell us what direction it's moving in. And we discussed this for quite some time, and they kept saying it's moving, I kept saying it's not moving. And finally we got to the point, I said, you know, I don't care if you never let me out of this room, that point of light is not moving. And they, <laughs> that's, that's me. You know? <laughs> and they did let me out of the room, but they threw out my results. But the point of the experiment was to see, it was a suggestibility. The point was not moving. But I discovered that, and this is the point of living in uncertain times. I found my relationship to that point of light, and I didn't move and it didn't move. And that's what we need to do. That is the blessing of living in uncertain times, is that we have to find within ourselves our relationship to light, within ourselves our relationship to truth, our relationship to moral values. If we look outside of ourselves, they're going to say, oh, it's all shifting. Truth is, it's relative. It's all moving all over the place. And you hold your focus on that light and you say, no, there are universal values. There are universal truths. There is a, uni you know, we just kind of were reconnected with the thought. Swami called our path to God, and we're going to start using this more, the universal upward path. There is a universal upward path that is not subject to the changes of anything. It just is real, and the only way we discover it is by going within. And this is how the tools for living in uncertain times is to go within and find those truths within yourself. The blessing of living in uncertain times is that everything can be changing but if we find that power within ourselves, the power of truth, the power of values, the power of kindness and compassion and a feeling of universal oneness with people of all backgrounds, then that power will sustain us no matter what happens, no matter what. And that power, the more we come to the source of our own self, the stronger that power becomes. And in this world of relativity, outwardly there are ups and downs and good and evil, but in the world of internal reality, inner reality, there's only one truth. And the closer we come to that truth, what is that truth? We are made as an image of God. We, our consciousness is filled with joy, with unconditional love, with wisdom, with peace. And the more we go within, the more we find that power to activate those things, to live those things. And how do we go within? Everything of our path teaches. 
meditation, service, Kriya Yoga, devotion to the Guru, all the things we'll be talking about the rest of the week. But understand that unhappiness is just a diminution of joy. It's just the, we're not activating the power of our soul. Oh, I'm sad today. How's your energy? It's not so good. Well, it's not rocket science. How are you feeling today? You know, I feel great. I have a lot of energy. Are you happy? You know, I am. Yeah, maybe I just lost something in the stock market. Maybe my house burned down. But, you know, I live inside, and that power of joy is not diminished. That power hatred and resentment of other people. It's just love in a diminished form. And if you want to be able to love everybody, then you find that power within yourself. It's not like we have to work at, well, I'm going to love this person and that person. It's just that power naturally loves. So the blessing of living in uncertain times is it forces us to go within. It for, Master... In one of his talks, he had a wonderful example. He said, you know, I go to the movies, and I look at the drama on the screen, and I know it's just a play of light and shadows, but everyone else is so caught up in the drama. And he said, one day I was at the movie theater, and I looked up at the projection booth, and I saw the man operating it was reading a book. And I thought, that's what God does. He's seen this movie so many times, he's not interested anymore. He's just reading a book. And of course, God's not unaware of the world, but it was just the illustration. It doesn't hold him anymore. So we need to understand that these are great times to be alive. Bring it on, because the only way we're going to survive any of it is to find the power within ourselves and we're forced, our hand is forced in that direction. So it's what we want. It's why we came, to find the power of our own soul. So now I'd like to, Jyotish covered some tools. I'd also like to talk about tools for living in uncertain times and how we develop greater power within ourselves the power of personal transformation. And these are all things Master taught us. The first one of, that I'd like to talk about is introspection. Analyze your strengths and your weaknesses. And honestly, self-honesty is the beginning of spiritual growth. As long as you say, oh, well, that's not so bad, then you're not looking at it. But if there's a little hint that there's something in you that needs to change, then run after it with all the honesty and, and without any self-justification. You know, I see this happen often. Let's say someone's made a mistake. I mean, we all make mistakes. Every one of us is a combination of strengths and weaknesses. But until we accept that, we're not going to change. We saw a very interesting movie recently, which I don't really recommend, but there was a part of it that was interesting. It was a documentary about a man who, at the age of 12, lost his eyesight. But he, from a little younger than that, his goal was to be a card magician, do card tricks. 
He lost his sight at the age of 12. He went on to become one of the world's greatest card magicians. I Don't ask me how. It's just amazing. But he never accepted that he was blind. And you can say, oh, that's great, that's great. But it meant he had to depend on everyone else around him to make it work. His sister also had the same. She lost her sight. Amazingly, his was a couple of years. Hers was instantaneously at the age of 14. She said, I was reading my, doing my math homework, looked, it was gone. It was blank, never came back. But she accepted that she was blind. And she had a seeing eye dog, and she learned Braille, and she had special computers, and she went on to run her own construction company, very successful. But the movie isn't about him being a card magician. It's about him. He saw blindness as a weakness, and he wouldn't admit it. And she said, I don't see it as a weakness. It's just the reality of who I am. And it's the transition of him accepting it and how it changes everything around him. And he used to do these shows, and he'd get lots of people and do all these tricks. Then he began doing public performances about how I accepted my weakness and what it, how it changed my life. Many more people came to hear that. So look at your weaknesses. And if you're afraid to look at them, you'll never change them. And every time, and this is a truism, if there's something you're working on, watch yourself. Anytime you say, oh, it was their fault, they didn't really understand. Understand that you were reinforcing that weakness. Every time you stand up and say, I need to work on that, you are diminishing the power that weakness has on you. So self-honesty and introspection, if you want to get rid of weaknesses, how are we going to do it? Again, accentuate the positive. Don't focus on them, on your weaknesses, but focus on your strength and give them energy and pour everything you've got into them and just don't give energy to the negative. Don't, whatever, don't say it's not there, but just say, I am, I am moving forward away from it. Master said something fascinating about memory. He said, memory is given to mankind in order to help them to remember the good and the positive things that has happened. If you dwell on, oh, he did this to me, or I did that to her, that, he said, is a abuse of the God-given power of memory because it locks into place that karma. Accept it, but move on if you want to be free, if you want to be free of those things. And that's the beauty of our path because we can change by focusing on the positive. So introspection, looking at your strengths and weaknesses, and then asking God for help. You know, I was going through a test where just these negative thoughts kept coming at me. And I, I tried. They kept coming. Then I hit upon something. I said, every time those thoughts come, I'm going into, I'm going to meditate. I'm just going to meditate. And you know what? Those thoughts never came back because I gave it to God. I was trying to do it myself. But when I gave it to God, he took it away. So introspection. Second point that's very, very important is to look at the world around you and try even-minded. 
don't react. I, there were so many instances in the history of Ananda where the world was falling apart around us, fires burning the community down, 12 years of lawsuits, for Swamiji, many, many health challenges. But you know what? I never saw him react to any of that. Not that he was impassive, but it was always from his center. I remember he had so many health challenges, and a friend of mine said, uh, she asked him one time, Swamiji, are you taking on other people's karma with all these health problems you have? And he got very quiet for a while. And then he said, we all have to do our part. That's all he said. But he had very bad arthritic hips. One, he had one replaced with a prosthetic hip. He had the second one replaced with a prosthetic hip. Then the first one started really bothering him. We went in. He had x-rays. It wasn't put in properly. It wasn't aligned in the, in the hip right. And we went with him to the orthopedic surgeon. And Dr. Dutton, the surgeon, just said, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to do this first hip over, third hip surgery. Before he got the words out, I mean, our hearts were sinking. Swami just said, oh, when, when can we schedule it? How soon can we schedule it? There wasn't a pause. There wasn't a breath. There was not a moment of reaction. Let's get on with it. Even-minded in all circumstances. So what if it all changes? What if it all goes away? What if things we, people we love are ill or lose their ability to think clearly? Are we going to let that destroy us? Because it's inevitable. Change is inevitable. Nothing in this world is permanent. That's the, that's the joke of it all. We try so hard to make it permanent. You know, I must have, <clears throat> in other lives, had this lesson driven home very much because I remember as a very young child, I was probably four or five years old, I remember having this reoccurring dream, and it was just an image of a beautiful ice cream sundae with whipped cream and cherries, and I would reach out for it, and it would just dissolve. And I would have that dream over and over and over again. And I couldn't figure it out at the time, but now I do. All the things you reach for in this world just the beautiful vacation, the perfect car, the wonderful clothes. Yes, you can have them, but then they're just through, sand through your hands. Everything will change. But even-mindedness, when we lost everything in the fire, again, wonderful, wonderful blessings and experience. I would not trade that for any positive, sweet thing that ever happened in my life. Because we learned in those days that our happiness did not come. We, our house was burnt to the ground. We got out a few little th spiritual items from the altar, but everything else was gone. But we learned in those days that happiness, peace of mind, contentment was inside ourselves. And if we couldn't find it there, it was not going to be anything found anywhere outside. So even-mindedness and detachment. And now the three more important tools that I want to talk about. First is mental strength. The ability, 
And the prayer we do every morning is, and evening, if we do it twice a day for our energization exercises, Divine Mother, fill my body with thy cosmic energy, my mind with thy concentration and determination. Those two qualities, concentration and determination. And Master emphasizes the power of the mind over and over again. If we want, and Ananda is a testament to the power of Swami Kriyananda and all of us, determination and concentration, no matter what happened. This is what we're trying to accomplish. Oh, the community burned down. Okay, let's keep going. You never gave up the focus. I remember the very first day I met Swamiji, I... I, was st- I had just arrived. It was <clears throat> 4th of July, 1969, just arrived from the Midwest, totally disoriented, had no idea why or how I was here. Um, oh, I have to tell a joke because <laughs> I was sort of like this that day. Someone asked this old farmer, and this is from Dharmadas, told us this joke. We love it. Someone asked an old farmer, what do you think about the politicians today? And he said, post turtles. And he said, what? They're like post turtles. You know, if you're driving down the road and you see a post along the road and there's a turtle sitting on top. <laughs> well, the turtle doesn't know how he got there. He does, somebody else must have put him there. He doesn't know what to do up there. And he's He wishes he could get back to his other life, which was pretty good. Post-turtles. Anyway, I arrived at Ananda, and I was kind of... I was kind of like a post-turtle. What am I doing here? How did I get here? And then I felt this movement of energy behind me. And I turned around, and there was a man. He wasn't very tall. But his posture was amazing. I'd never seen anybody with posture like that. You could now, in retrospect, I understand it was the energy of the pandavas flowing up his spine. And he had Bermuda shorts on and a cotton shirt. And his hair was long, but you couldn't tell because it was pulled back in a bun. And he just moved past me. And I felt this movement of energy. And he said a few words to me. I said a few words to him. But I thought, something's about to happen. And it did happen. And here it is. And it was through concentration and determination, the power of the mind. No matter what happens in the days ahead, hold on to the even-minded, calmness, the power of the mind. And everything can be dealt with. Everything. We have it with the Master said, you are never given a test that you don't have the power to overcome. Do you activate that power? That's up to you. But you have the power to overcome. And so the power of the mind. And then Master or Swamiji said, how do you deal with uncertain times? We need to learn to love heroically. Not just when it's convenient, not just because it's people we like, you know, they, there's a beautiful statement that says, joy is happiness without a reason. Well, unconditional love is a, a benevolent feeling 
that's given without merit. You don't have to earn the love of God, but we can be channels for that love, to love heroically. Christ said, it's not enough to love those who are good to you. Even the publicans can do that. The tax collectors can do that. We need to love those who love us not. And we need in this world today, we need to love heroically. I think rather one of the most insidious things that's happening is the divisiveness. And I'm not saying anyone's causing it. It's just the keynote of our times. This religion against that, this race against that, this nationality against that. We need to mend up those wounds, mend up the rent in the fabric of humanity with heroic love. And if we can do that, then we begin to the personal transformation in uncertain times, the power of it begins to have a cumulative effect, a collective effect. And no matter what other people say, if we can love heroically in all circumstances and try it, this is a little bitty microcosm, our spiritually new week gathering. Try it this week. You'll see many people you know, old friends, Greet them, love them, but you'll see people that you don't know. Maybe people who are here from the first time who don't know anybody. Love heroically. Every day, make it a point to meet someone and love them and include them in your circle. Don't withdraw from it. Don't say, well, maybe they won't like me. Who cares? Who cares if they don't like you? You love heroically and practice it here with people of goodwill and then when you're elsewhere, it becomes a little easier. And then finally, the last tool. So we have, let's just review. We have the ability, introspect, look at your strengths and weaknesses, give power to your strengths, practice detachment and even-mindedness under all circumstances. Use the power of your mind to accomplish whatever you think is valuable love heroically, and then finally coming full circle to where we started, find your own relationship to the light and live in that. Hold it no matter what happens. There's the beautiful story that Master tells in one of his audio recordings of St. Anthony of the Desert, who is one of the great early fathers of Christianity and he was a hermit. He lived in the deserts of Egypt. He would, uh, always moving away from people, lived in the ancient tombs of the Egyptian civilization and would move. And when he was so, his love for Christ, he had many, many ex experience of Christ's presence. But he also had to fight many inward battles because the dark powers, he called them Satan, would attack him. Time after time after time, for 20 years he went through this. He lived well over 100, so he had time to do all this. But finally, and Satan in the form of jackals and beasts would attack him. Finally, the day came, the great conflagration, the great day where the power of darkness could not break his determination his mental strength, 
his unconditional love. And the power of darkness began creating this illusion that the tomb was crushing him, it was collapsing, and it was going to bear down on him, and all the world was in upheaval. And the power of darkness said, worship me or know that you will be destroyed forever. And Anthony, through years of everything we've been talking about, the spiritual power of the soul said, there is only one God and he is my Lord Jesus Christ. Get thee away from me. And in that moment, that whole delusion, that whole illusion was gone. And Christ stood before him and Anthony knelt at his feet and he said, Lord, where have you been all these years? And Master said in his wonderful Bengali accent, you hear it on the recording, <clears throat> he said, Anthony, I was just the same with you. And meaning I have always been here. So find your relationship to the light and never waver in that. It will be there for you in the darkest hour, in the moment of despair and hopelessness, when everything seems to be lost. If we can form that relationship deep within our soul and then keep affirming it, the challenges will come, the tests will come. Master spoke of them, Swami spoke of them. It's not so hard to foresee them coming. But we can, through the power of our transformation, we can endure these things. I told Jotish as we were driving over, <clears throat> I had a surprise for him. He didn't know I was going to read this. It's not personal at all. But when I was preparing for this class, and I thought this would be a wonderful way to end, I found an article from a talk that Swami had given in India in 20, 2011. And in the light of this wonderful temple that we see in, coming out of the ground before us, in the light of this new institute of higher consciousness that's going to be happening without doubt in India, I read these words of Swami and I was just amazed. So he gave this talk, he was in India 2011, and I'm going to read it. It's not very long. It's called A Dream of the Future. Swami says, Many things have been given to me in dreams. Ananda itself was a dream when I was 15. So also was my play, The Peace Treaty. During the years since I began writing music, Many of my melodies and songs have come to me in dreams just before I woke up. Last night, I had another dream. I was visiting Ananda. I think it was the village. It might have been some new place in India, but all the people, as I recall, were Americans and their skin was fair. Anyway, I was being shown around new developments there. It may have been the large area where we are contemplating putting the new temple. Everything was still under construction, but it was thrilling to see what was being done. There was a huge dome still under construction and an amphitheater where music and drama would be performed. There were all sorts of creative things going on, a large center, 
and several new buildings still under construction dedicated to the different arts. I wish I would remember everything more clearly, but that seems to be the way with my dreams. They aren't <clears throat> visions, but mere suggestions, visual in this case, of future possibilities. I remember Ponderanga being involved, and Jyotish. Many people there seemed like family, though many were young and had new faces. The whole scene was still a construction site. What I saw, I can still see clearly, but it was all under development, and I was being shown around with a certain excitement on all parts, rather than initiating at any of myself. It seems to me the central part of our community stretched out somewhere beneath us, a vague image only. It was a development that would educate and inspire and involve many people. Will it come into being? Obviously, I can't say. It seemed quite real, however. The main point of my dream, Swamiji says, is that our future stretches out before us into thrilling new dimensions. I don't suppose I'll be around to see much of it, but it is enough for me to have launched something so wonderful and so important to mankind as Ananda. So the future, there will be challenges, but there is Ananda. And what is Ananda? It is people who have the courage to undertake the task of personal transformation. We are all a part of that wherever we are. And this is a future that is real, just as Swami's dream was real. It is thrilling, and it will transcend all darkness and the light of Ananda, of our masters. God will prevail. Let's just close now. Please, everyone, stand. And let's chant Om and send out these blessings into the world. <laughs>